everyone, and welcome to episode 69 of the Hydrogen Nowcast for January 20th, 2023. The Hydrogen Nowcast is sponsored by New Day Hydrogen, who's helping fleet owners meet their zero emission vehicle needs. If you're the fleet or transit operator, and your fleet is wondering how to convert to zero emission vehicles but still meet your operational needs, New Day Hydrogen can give you the option of fuel cell vehicles by providing public hydrogen fuel stations near you and showing you the available fuel cell trucks, vans, and buses. To find out more information about both vehicles and fueling, visit the NewDayHydrogen.com website, where you can also submit requests on the contact page. The U.S. just published the U.S. National Blueprint for Transportation Decarbonization, and this document was prepared by four U.S. federal agencies, the U.S. Department of Energy, or DOE, the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, and the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD. The blueprint acknowledges the imperative to convert from fossil fuels to other energy sources for transportation, such as batteries, so-called sustainable fuels, and of course, hydrogen. Now, the study points out that transportation is now the largest source of greenhouse gases in the U.S. at around 33%. And the study rightly concludes that we need to decarbonize 100% of transportation in order to help mitigate climate change. Now, as you would expect, the blueprint calls out strategies and technology solutions for different use cases that are needed to reach net zero by 2050. And these are summarized in their figure seven of the blueprint. Now, regrettably and alarmingly, the blueprint specifies zero hydrogen vehicles for light duty transportation. Now, it'll be impossible to decarbonize 100% of transportation without hydrogen light-duty vehicles. And here's why. First, public opinion polls clearly show that the majority of users are not willing to accept battery-powered vehicles. The blueprint fails to consider public opinion about which solutions users will be willing to adopt. The study makes assumptions and proposes solutions that clearly don't provide the same performance and convenience as current vehicles, and therefore aren't being accepted by a majority of users. Now, why would someone want to buy a zero-emission vehicle that doesn't perform as well as their petroleum vehicle? Now, secondly, the blueprint does acknowledge that for medium and heavy-duty vehicles, we will need hydrogen energy to meet the performance and convenience needs for those vehicles. Now, if we deploy fuel stations for medium and heavy-duty vehicles, Obviously, light-duty vehicles can and will use the stations as well. So again, 0% light-duty hydrogen vehicles makes no sense. Now, I mentioned that users will demand the same performance and convenience as their current vehicles if they're going to adopt zero-emission vehicles. The study does lightly touch on the issue of performance, but narrow-mindedly only around improving batteries or charging infrastructure. But on the issue of convenience... Rather than considering matching the zero-emission vehicle convenience to petroleum vehicles, the blueprint focuses on providing additional public transportation or reducing miles traveled through improved urban design, the later being very long-term and difficult to implement. So neither of these is bound to have much impact on carbon emissions in the next decade or two, yet we urgently need to decarbonize transportation now. Now, this failure to consider performance and convenience of zero-emission vehicle alternatives, and therefore how willing users will be to switch from petroleum to a zero-emission vehicle, has led the study to a flawed emphasis on battery vehicles for light duty while ignoring hydrogen. In fact, it advocates absolutely zero usage of hydrogen for light duty transportation. 
But since light-duty vehicles account for 49% of the greenhouse gas emissions from transportation, we need alternatives to battery vehicles that can be accepted by all users. Now, back before I retired from Honeywell Aerospace in 2016, I recognized that this issue of battery versus hydrogen fuel cells was complex and that the rate of acceptance of battery vehicles by everyone was being grossly overestimated and might continue to be overestimated until the point where we fail to achieve 100% zero emission vehicle adoption in a decade or so from now. Now, as I've said many times on this podcast, if we fail to deploy hydrogen vehicles, we will fail to decarbonize transportation. So this is the entire reason that I'm spending my retirement advocating for hydrogen. And I'm focusing on light transportation because that seems to be the most misunderstood. Now, this lack of acceptance of battery-powered vehicles by the public isn't a secret. Research organizations such as the Pew Research Center, Consumer Reports, J.D. Power, and KPMG have all conducted public opinion polls asking people if they would ever consider a battery-powered vehicle. And those results are meager to say the least. Only 20 to 40% of drivers in the U.S. say that they ever intend to convert from petroleum to battery vehicles. Now, let me repeat that. Only 20 to 40% of drivers in the U.S. say they ever intend to convert from petroleum to battery vehicles. Now, we certainly can't decarbonize 100% of transportation with public acceptance rates that low. We need solutions for the other 60 to 80% of users. So what are the issues that users have with battery vehicles? Well, people responding to the polls listed high purchase price, limited range on a charge, lack of enough charging stations, battery life, and lengthy charge time. Now, although issues such as vehicle cost and limited charging stations will eventually be resolved, and things such as range and battery life, by the way, which is currently half the life of the vehicle, may eventually be solved. However, the issue that will never be solved is matching charging time with petroleum or hydrogen fueling time. This is a huge issue for long-distance travel, and charging time has nothing to do with the battery. It has to do with the vast amount of energy that needs to be transferred to a vehicle in the same amount of time it takes to fuel a petroleum or hydrogen vehicle. Now, the voltages or currents required are astronomical. So to illustrate my point, let's look at a couple of examples. So let's start first with an average light passenger car. Now, in the U.S., the average passenger car is capable of around 400 miles of range on a tank of fuel. On a long-distance trip, most people are going to stop for fuel with some reserve in the tank, so we'll assume drivers will stop at least every 300 miles. Now, fueling time takes around three minutes, so this is the benchmark that people will apply to battery vehicles. That is three minutes of charging every 300 miles. Now, this is unachievable for battery cars, but it has nothing to do with the battery. It has to do with how long it takes to transfer this much energy to a vehicle using electrons instead of molecules. Now, to understand this, you need to look at the numbers. So let's look at a charging example. But first, I think we should have a quick tutorial on electricity. Now, electricity is described in terms of voltage and current. And if we make an analogy with water, voltage can be thought of as pressure and current as the amount of flow. Now, the unit of voltage is the volt and the unit of current is the amp. And just like with water, we could have high pressure but little flow, for example, through a tiny pipe. Or we could have low pressure, but a lot of flow, like a river. So in order to completely describe the amount of electricity being transferred, we need to consider both the pressure and the flow 
in order to describe the amount of power being consumed, where power is defined as volts times amps, which equals the unit called the watt. But we need to go one step further and consider time. That is, how long we consume a certain amount of power or watts. Now, obviously, if you consume 100 watts for a second, that's much less energy than 100 watts all day. So we have the unit of energy, which is watts times time, which is, unremarkably, the watt hour. So watts are power, and watt hours are energy. Now, we pay for electricity in terms of energy. Of course, 1,000 watt hours is the kilowatt hour, and this is what we're all familiar with when we pay our electric bill. And this is also the unit we use to describe the energy stored and consumed by a battery vehicle. Now, just like a gasoline vehicle is rated in miles per gallon or kilometers per liter, a battery vehicle is rated in kilowatt hours per mile or kilometer. In fact, the energy in a gallon of gasoline is equal to 33.3 kilowatt hours of electricity. Now, the Tesla Model 3 battery passenger car uses about 0.27 kilowatt hours of energy per mile. So after 300 miles, it'll need 81 kilowatt hours of energy. So how much voltage and current will it take to transfer 81 kilowatt hours to a battery vehicle in three minutes? Now, bear in mind that there are practical limits to the voltage and the current. We can't increase either without bound. Now, as voltage increases, arcing and shock hazard becomes a concern. Also, higher currents demand thicker wire. But that's not all. The electric grid will have to supply these extreme amounts of power, and with a dozen or more vehicles all trying to charge at once at a charging station, huge transmission lines will be needed, and often in remote locations. So 81 kilowatt hours is defined as 81 kilowatts delivered for an hour. But remember, we want to charge in three minutes, just like a petroleum or a hydrogen vehicle. Now, since three minutes is one twentieth of an hour, we need to multiply 81 kilowatts times 20, which is 1,620 kilowatts, or 1.62 megawatts. Now, 1.62 megawatts is huge, and that's just for one light car. Now, fueling stations will have a dozen or more cars, all trying to charge at once. Now, the highest planned voltage for vehicle fast chargers today is 800 volts. So how much current would we need to supply at 800 volts? Now, recall that a watt is defined as voltage times current, and 1,600 kilowatts is 1,620,000 watts. So if we divide 1,620,000 watts by 800 volts, we get around 2,000 amps. 2,000 amps? You know, the average U.S. home has 200 amp service, but draws around 4.5 amps averaged over 24 hours. So charging one car would draw as much current as 450 homes. Now, also, the wire diameter needed for 2,000 amps is around 5 inches or 12.7 centimeters. And you'd need two of these fat wires. So the weight and stiffness of the wires, plus the connector size, would be just wildly impractical. And this is for a small, lightweight family sedan. Large SUVs will need 50% more power, and vehicles like motorhomes and medium-duty commercial vehicles, at least twice. Okay, so... Possibly we could find a way around wire size. Maybe we could have two big electrodes that come out of the pavement at charging stations and attach to the front and rear bumpers. But there's a second issue which is even bigger, and that's how to transmit this much power through the electric grid to a charging station, especially in rural locations. This would require building new transmission lines to each station. 
So here's an example. You know, fueling plazas along motorways or interstate highways would typically, on average, serve at least a dozen light or medium-duty vehicles at a time. So let's assume we have a mix of 10 passenger cars and two motorhomes. This would mean the station needs to supply almost 20 megawatts, which would require new transmission lines. Now multiply that times all the charging stations needed, and you can imagine how many new transmission lines would be needed. And a problem with building new transmission lines, at least in the U.S., is that the public has a history of fighting the building of transmission lines for aesthetic reasons. They just don't like looking at them. All right, so let's review why hydrogen light-duty vehicles, or indeed hydrogen power vehicles of any size, are needed. Now, clearly, based on public opinion polls, not all users will adopt battery vehicles. Now, we can argue all day long whether battery vehicle adoption rate is 20% or maybe even as high as 50%, but clearly it'll never be 100%. Yet we need to decarbonize 100% of transportation if we have any hope of saving the environment. Now, the biggest impediment to battery vehicles is, and likely always will be, the long charging time away from home compared to petroleum or hydrogen vehicles because of the difficulty of transferring the amount of energy needed as electrons instead of molecules. So obviously, we need to start deploying hydrogen fuel stations immediately, since we could never have any hydrogen vehicles without them. Now, I've been working to deploy hydrogen stations in Colorado for the past three years, and we're getting close. Now, the business case is there for on-site electrolysis, and that is, based on the electric rates in Colorado and the cost of the fuel station infrastructure, hydrogen can be priced at parity with gasoline and can provide a decent return on investment. But the story doesn't stop there. Vehicles are needed as well. Now, although passenger cars are readily available thanks to Toyota and Hyundai, and soon Honda, commercial, medium, and heavy-duty vehicles need to be the first customers of new hydrogen stations. And that's because it takes over 20 passenger cars to consume the same amount of hydrogen per day as just one medium-duty vehicle which is driven all day. Now, some commercial trucks are available, but most are still in the prototype stage. For example, converting petroleum vehicles to hydrogen-powered electric or prototypes such as the Ford F-550. Now, the biggest impact that any government, company, or wealthy individual could have on transportation carbon reduction would be to seed the market with hydrogen stations and subsidize medium-duty hydrogen vehicles. Again, the biggest impact any government, company, or wealthy individual could have on transportation carbon reduction would be to seed the market with hydrogen stations and subsidize medium-duty hydrogen vehicles. Just one hydrogen fuel station in each major metropolitan area would make a huge difference. You know, we're out of time to reverse climate change. There's enough CO2 in the atmosphere already to raise the global temperature by 16 degrees Celsius. We should have started this 40 years ago. We don't have time to bet on solutions that may turn out to be losers, and I'm talking about battery-powered vehicles. We need all solutions on deck. The evidence is obvious that we need hydrogen vehicles to satisfy all users in all use cases. If we fail to deploy hydrogen vehicles, we will fail to decarbonize transportation. <laughs>